Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Uh, hi. That sounded a little different. Like he was, who knows. We're working on audio all the time, so we, we never quite know what it's going to sound like anytime we fire up. Hi. How you doing? It's Wednesday, she sniffed. And uh, that's the 30th of uh, January, and it's uh, it's cold out and getting colder, in case you hadn't heard. <laughs> oh, God. Um, I, I must say, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, you know, it's going to be cold here, but not anywhere near, like, what's happening in Minnesota and the Dakotas and Wisconsin and uh, it is nowhere near what they're dealing with. Um, and and I must say, I, God, they scare the bejeebers out of you. What I heard things uh, yesterday about what cold weather can do to you <laughs> that I'd never heard before. There was a woman, was she on NBC? I think she was giving a report from Chicago and, of course, standing outside in the elements. And you couldn't see her, I mean, because she was truly covered from head to toe. And she had these big, huge, like, goggles on her, looked like almost a motorcycle helmety look, uh, goggles on her eyes. And she said that was because, uh, she was here to report to all of us, that your cornea can freeze <laughs> within, I don't know, what was it, two minutes? I, I don't know. And then you're, you know, I guess blinded for life or whatever. Uh, and, and then I heard that, oh, God, if you're wearing contact lenses, forget about it. They'll freeze on your eyes. You'll never see again. And I was thinking, well, wait, I mean, really? Because the only thing I can go on, and I, I know I brag about it because people do, was the Ice Bowl uh, football game in Green Bay, Wisconsin in 1967, which was the, that was the big game, the end of the season, prior to Super Bowls, right? Yeah. Between the Cowboys and the Packers. And there was not an empty seat at Lambeau Field. The temperature, as I recall, was 13 below zero. Um... That's not wind chill. <laughs> wind chill didn't exist then. So we weren't as cold as we could have been because there's no doubt the psychological aspect of wind chill is to make you much colder than you would otherwise feel. Um, but I, I wore contacts to that game <laughs> because I wore, con I wore hard contacts to that game. And I, my eyes are still here, I just want to say. And I didn't have sunglasses or anything sheltering my eyes. And um, I was outside for easily four hours, unmoving. That was the rough part. Actually, I think the players had it easier than the spectators because they were able to move, even jump around. We couldn't jump, and in fact, our legs were frozen solid. I had no feeling in my legs as I, as I made my way out of that uh, stadium. It was very hard walking down the steps because it was like if you had had total neuropathy. There was no feeling <laughs> in my legs. I have a great deal of understanding of what really sub-zero temperatures are and the damage they can do. And I have little doubt that I did permanent damage to my body that day. Um, I remembered it just last weekend when I took my dog to a dog park where we could just, he could run. There was no one else there, so it was just the two of us, and we were running around for a while. And I was dressed for the elements, and it was cold. It was cold. And my fingers, my fingertips, no matter how much I have on them, uh, literally freeze up very quickly. Um, and they went very quickly, even though I had actually I had two pairs of gloves on. And I, 
I had two pairs because I know I have this problem. That problem is from being at that ice bowl. I had obvious damage to my, yeah, frostbite, I assume is what it was. And that can have permanent damage. It's uh, whatever. I don't know. It's cold. It is cold. Um, I want to thank Bill for sending me a Randy Rainbow uh, video. Uh, I, Amy posted it on my uh, Facebook page. Um, it's just another of his song parodies. This one uh, from the Chicago, from sh the musical Chicago. They had it coming. They had it coming. Um, and it's about, of course, Trump and his his nest of vipers. And um, it is, as so many of Randy Rainbow's uh, bits are, pretty funny. So I passed it on. In case you're in need of a of a laugh, okay. Uh, <coughs> okay, a few little things I came across just to keep it slightly light for a little bit. Well, I had not seen this uh, statistic about the implications of uh, the government shutdown and uh, not the implication so much as the What's the word? Consequences of? the? That's not even the word I want. Whatever. What happened because of? And um, it turns out that, what do I know about streaming pornography services, but Pornhub, <laughs> Pornhub, which apparently a lot of folks know about, uh, has said that there was a an over 6% increase in traffic to their site from the Washington, D.C. area uh, during the government shutdown. I'm just saying. And um, something else I saw that I, I thought, this can't be true, but it is. It checks out. It's unbelievable. Kentucky Fried Chicken, or I guess KFC is, is the proper terminology now, right? KFC. KFC has actually put out, besides things to eat, they are now selling a candle, a scented candle. You heard about this? Why would KFC get into the scented? First of all, I think the whole scented candle thing is out of control. But scented candle from KFC, it's a limited edition. And it is an artisanal, artisanal, that's how they, yeah. The artisanal candle replicates the familiar and evocative aroma of KFC's gravy. Now, I don't know about you, but the idea of a KFC gravy-scented candle <laughs> is, that's a bridge too far for me. I like to be open-minded, but really? I guess for some people, that's like, that's heaven on earth. I really should actually scarf some of those up for gifts. I come to think of it. There might be a run on them because uh, that, that's funny, actually. Um, <coughs> okay, let's see what we got. I have a quote of the day. I don't have an obituary today. I have a quote of the day. Never worry what the cool people think. Head for the warm people. Life is warmth. You can be cool when you're dead. 
I like it. Uh, you don't have to, but screw the cool people. Go for the warm people. Warmth is what life's about. I like it that. Okay. Now, I came across a piece that What a life. What a man. What? Why am I getting this now? Larry, I see several locations on the site for yesterday's show, but where is the link to today's? <laughs> you need a link to today's show? We're on it. You mean nobody's listening? So, um, I want to give you more of a uh, insight. Never mind, he says. Larry, you just sent Amy off on a freaked out goose chase. Guys. Jesus. Okay. I came upon this piece, written about a man, used to live here, now he's in California. I, uh, I met him once at um, an event here in Pittsburgh. He's, um, thank you Beth, everybody says everything's fine. What is that pounding going on? I don't know if you guys can hear it, but it sounds like it sounds like there's construction happening right over the um, right over the studio here. So if you're hearing banging and stuff, uh, there's nothing we can do about it. Okay, so this is a story about a guy who whose life thus far is is just fascinating. And so I wanna I wanna just back up and share it with you um, and what has happened since he left. Pittsburgh, and I, I feel for him. <laughs> he, he might be like the most honest, honorable human being that I have ever said hello to. Might be. There, there's an innocence uh, about him. And it keeps getting him in trouble, kind of. Let's talk about Dr. Bennett Amalu. I first heard of him uh, from my friend Jean Marie Laskus, who was, uh, who had uh, just finished writing a piece, I think for Esquire magazine, uh, about him. And she was so taken by him, uh, by this quiet African immigrant. Uh, and his, I guess, doggedness, his professionalism, and his naivete all, all at once. The story she wrote, uh, went viral before viral was even a thing it it just uh it it created a firestorm that is that still exists that went all the way of course to the National Football League and that got the National Football League uh desperately trying to malign uh the findings of Dr. Amalu and his reputation and I would imagine that continues apace. Uh, he is the one who was working under coroner Cyril Wecht, right over there, a few blocks away from where I sit now. And the year was 19, uh, what year would that have been? Um, When did when did that happen? <laughs> I don't know. And um, 
he gets the brain of former Steeler center Mike Webster. 2002 is the the year. So 2002, Mike Webster's body comes in to the morgue where Dr. Amalu is working as a forensic pathologist, a guy who does autopsies and figures out why somebody died. And this, of course, uh, you know, Gene took the article, it became a book, it became a movie, and I think pretty much most people understand that it was uh, Bennett Amalu who uh, first uh, said, hey, guys, <laughs> something's happening here. And he named it chronic traumatic encephalopathy. The fact that Mike Webster's brain was just riddled with lesions. And, of course, it wasn't just Mike Webster's brain because he got another brain, Terry Long, same thing. Men dying too young who played professional football and their brains looked like Swiss cheese. Dr. Amalu, this is the naive part, thought the NFL would be happy to hear that he'd found this was happening because surely they didn't want their players to suffer this kind of devastating and fatal brain damage as a result of their employment with the NFL. And that's when Bennett Amalu finally realized that his sense of what was right was not the same sense of the big people, the powerful people. They not only didn't want to know, they made a years-long effort to undermine, to deny, to all of that. I remember Gene telling me how stunned he was by the reaction to what he thought he would get thank yous for. Oh my God, thank you. We had <laughs> he had no idea. I was with Gene recently and somehow we were talking about Africa and food and she talked about a meal that she could found it very difficult to eat when she had been in Africa and I said when were you in Africa and she had gone with Dr. Amalu to Africa maybe 2005, 6, 7, I don't know to the funeral of his father and she had gone back to the village in southern Nigeria for the funeral. And, I mean, he came from true poverty. How in the name of God? And he came from a war-torn area where his family had been displaced, where his father had almost gotten himself killed a lot earlier at some checkpoint manned by a militia that didn't like the tribe the Amalus were from. Somehow he earns a medical degree. And, uh, but he wanted desperately to get out of Nigeria because he said everything there was corrupted and it offended this. He, he is such an honorable man. He is so easily offended and frankly then suffers depression as I suspect a lot of honorable people do, they look around at the world, at the values, at the priorities, and they get incredibly confused, angry, depressed. He wanted to go to the United States 
and he believed the United States, you know, the story. He believed the United States was some extraordinary place, and he believed that if he just educated him, him himself enough, he could make it there. And boy, did he educate himself. He ended up with, um, I forget how many master's degrees. A lot of them, I think, were earned, he earned some of them here. He earned them in Washington State. He, uh, medical degrees, um, and he, in this article, he laughs. He says, you know, I may have overcompensated. <laughs> he felt he couldn't learn enough. He wanted to be successful. And so when the thing happened here, this quiet, dogged researcher finds himself at the middle of this huge storm and he is by nature a private, quiet person. In fact, he says he was sort of drawn to working with dead people <laughs> because they're so much less complicated than living ones. And then he ended up in this maelstrom. Of course, it resulted his what his work resulted in a class action suit by 20,000 former NFL players and it ended with the league finally capitulating acknowledging that Amalu had been correct but what happened after all of that is his life was totally disrupted and again he fell into a terrible depression he said strange cars would follow him. Other scientists took credit for his work. That is something that I know Jean Marie outlines very, very well in the book she wrote, Concussion. Um, and Dr. Amalu regretted ever having seen Mike Webster's brain. He was married at the time to a Nigerian woman who was very concerned about his depression and she said, we got to get out of here, here being Pittsburgh. We need to go somewhere else and just start over. And so they did. They moved with their son in 2007 to Stockton, California and uh, San Joaquin County, and Amalu was really happy. He said, I have a low profile now. There's no NFL <laughs> presence around because I just needed to be out. I didn't want any attention. I was running from attention. And that's where the rest of the story comes in. And this is the part of the story that I did not know. He got a job as the um, forensic pathologist in San Joaquin County, California. Now, the weird thing about this is that his boss in the system in California was the sheriff. The county sheriff had the last judgment call about cause of death. I mean, that's not the way it works in most of the jurisdictions in the country. But it's the way it worked in San Joaquin County. Um, here, uh, the way it worked, like it does in most places, is the forensic pathologist or the medical examiner uh, would uh, perform an autopsy and would determine the medical cause of death and then would suggest 
whether or not it had been accidental or, uh, or suicide or a homicide. That last part didn't work in California. He could only say, this is how a person died. And then the sheriff got to say if it was an accident or premeditated. And that's when the trouble started. Because this had to do with more than one case where a police officer had tased or shot usually a black male and Amalu would see that the person and the most the case that got the most attention and you'll remember this case how this man who's trying to get away from from publicity keeps finding himself smack dab in the middle of it but you will recall because the video was all over the place that horrible video of police officers shooting a young black man in the back in Sacramento, California. He was at his, in his grandmother's yard. I mean, all hell broke loose about that. You'll recall the Sacramento Kings uh, actually called off a... Um, a game, and then when the game wa did uh, occur, maybe uh, a week later, uh, between the Kings and the Celtics, both teams wore jerseys with the name of that dead 22-year-old young man, Stephen Clark. Anyway, the Clark family turned to Dr. Amalu and asked him if he would perform a private autopsy for them. And he did. And he said, this guy was <laughs> shot ten times, seven, I think seven of them, shot eight times, six times in the back, which totally upended the police report. The police report in Sacramento was that he had been approaching the officers in a threatening fashion, which is why they'd opened fire. So Clark, I mean, so, so, so Amalu gets himself in the middle of this big thing. Meanwhile, back in his regular day job with the county sheriff, there were more than one case of guys being, one was a 47-year-old motorcyclist who had been chased by the police uh, and then tried to climb a median that divided the freeway where he was stopped by taser, where officer shocked him. And the cops said they tased him twice. The guy was dead. Amalu said, I need to see, there's supposed to be a report of the taser. Uh, anytime a taser is used, you have to uh, print out uh, documentation of its use, how many times it was discharged, blah, 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 blah. It never came. Six months after this guy's dead, it never came, and Amalu had to go forward without it. And he without it, concluded that the guy had uh, died as a result of a head injury that was suffered when his motorcycle uh, crashed. Two years later, Amalo is given the printout from the taser by an assistant DA who slipped it to him. And then he showed that that guy on the motorcycle had been shocked 31 times. This decent, honorable, honest man was enraged. 
and he revised his autopsy. He said that that man had been killed by police. And he recommended that the charge, the charges be brought because this was a homicide. It was not an accident. One thing leads to the other. His assistant resigns. He resigns in a huff. The sheriff refuses to change anything. No cop could ever do anything but accidentally kill in this county. So this guy who went to California to escape the notoriety from Pittsburgh ends up right back in the middle of it there because he's an honest man. He's just an honest man. So Amalu, now a little wiser, less naive, began actually documenting, you know, like a Comey and the FBI guys. Every, after every meeting he had with the sheriff, he wrote contemporaneous notes. And in one of the notes, he wrote, in my mind, he, the sheriff, seems to believe that every officer-involved death should be ruled an accident because the police did not mean to kill anyone. He said, this is becoming routine practice. Amalu resigned couldn't do it anymore. I'm not sure this article is unclear what he's doing. His resignation made big news out there. And it resulted in two things. The sheriff, three-term incumbent, was voted out of office in a huge upset. So he took down, Amalu took down the sheriff. This guy who doesn't want to, takes down the sheriff after taking down the NFL. And then he worked with lawmakers in California on a bill that would require California counties to adopt a medical examiner system where the sheriff didn't have the final say, since a lot of the people who ended up dead were killed by people in the sheriff's employ. And you'll be shocked about this, because I sure as hell was. He worked hard, Amalu, to get this thing passed. And he's not that kind of a guy. It did get passed. Went to Governor Jerry Brown for his signature. And Brown vetoed it. Surprising. Anyway, I, I have no idea where this poor truth teller is now. This quiet man who gets so depressed by the reality that he constantly <laughs> encounters. <sighs> he is, by the way, now 50 years old. Um, he's extremely religious. He's Catholic. He's extremely, devoutly Catholic. And as this article says, this soft-spoken Catholic 50-year-old forensic pathologist from Nigeria is not exactly the first person you'd expect to keep materializing at the center of major American controversies involving contested death and charges of official cover-up.
but that has been his history since coming to our country. I, uh, God, I hope things, <laughs> I hope things get better for him. He's a good man. A good man working in a corrupt system. And the big boys go after you. He seems to keep standing, but I mean, the fact is, I, 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 I'm, I don't know. So I, I, I'm not sure where he is now. I found that, I mean, I don't know if it's because I've I've been hearing about him for longer than most people by virtue of my friendship with Jean Marie, but um, I, I have for so many years had the impression of this being a very special human being, but that he should become like Zelig-like, <laughs> popping up <laughs> when he's, he is so quiet and so, you know, does not want notoriety, does not want celebrity, does not want any of it. He ends up being played by what? Will Smith in a movie. It's not his cup of tea. I hope that didn't bore you just because I, you know, I sometimes think, Hey, Colin, just because you find it interesting doesn't mean they're going to find it interesting. But I, sorry if you didn't. Um, Lynn, says little Tony, the news media's obsession with weather makes me more angry than I can put into words. Well, it's not worth getting angry about, is it? I mean, well, I think I hate every <laughs> weather guy in town except Jeff Verzella, who KDK fired. They love to exaggerate. I don't watch any local news because of it. I knew it would be cold today, but was not expecting snow. I shoveled the walk and cleared the car and survived. It's winter. It's cold. And I don't need the local news reminding me that every 10 minutes. I, I understand totally. By the way, Jeff Verzella... So he was the meteorologist for uh, KDK-TV for, for long, decades, I believe, and he was kicked out the door in a, with no explanation. Um, you know, the boilerplate uh, moving in other direction. Uh, we're taking, uh, yeah, we're taking the weather cast in another direction. I don't think so. But... Um, uh, my guess would be that these local stations cannot wait to get rid of the people who've been with them for a long time, um, like Jeff Verzella. Although it could be something else, I have no idea. But I do know that since these stations are now owned by people who don't give two hoots about news, they're owned by bean counters. Um, the longer you are with a, an organization, and if you become over time actually a known quantity, a celebrity, somebody who people actually tune in for, that gives you power. That power gets you more money. And they don't want, they don't want people making big bucks anymore. And so the more money you make, the, m the thinner ice you're on in the TV biz <laughs> locally. Um, you can take that to the bank. I mean, I know that's true. So people with seniority um, are very, very vulnerable. The other thing about him, and I just want to say this because this is something I did know about him, and I found him off-putting as a result because we live in tribal times. Um, I don't know if it's because he's like politically a right-winger, but he absolutely agrees with Donald Trump that climate change is a hoax. 
This is a friggin' meteorologist. And I believe he was quite open about that on more than one occasion. But that had been known, so I don't see how that would have been. I don't, I don't know. Don't have a clue. I don't know. I'm just saying. Hey, I want to throw something out, and I want you guys to remember I did it. <laughs> I mean it. I really do. I think, and I'm hardly alone, that we are heading into potentially a kind of political realignment in this country that is beyond what we normally see and maybe beyond our comprehension. I think it can go very badly, and it, then it could also go pretty well. Um, I think that's why you get like this Howard Schultz thinking he can be the president because he can see that the parties are weak, one in particular. <laughs> um, and He's thinking this is realignment time. There are all these people who really don't like, and you know, it, this is we, the popular wisdom is third parties can't make it. This never works. Blah blah blah. But I think something big is happening, much bigger. And there's little hints of it here and there, where people from the right and people from the left end up agreeing on stuff. I think on stuff like uh, health care, there's a biggie that can bring disparate uh, uh, political players together. I'm thinking that capitalism triumphant has become capitalism that, of course, has gone berserk. And it ain't pretty. And lots of people get hurt. And lots of those people vote Republican. And lots of those people vote Democrat. And lots of those people feel nothing's changing because the economic system, capitalism, has got a boot on their throats. And I think increasingly, I think there's capitalists who are noting this. I, let's take Howard Schultz. And they think they like capitalism. It made, them, made him rich. And they don't want it to self-destruct like it appears to be doing. So you got people from corporate America trying to save capitalism from its more nefarious predilections. And then you've got people like Bernie Sanders or Alexandria, what's her name, AOC, um, and that and younger people saying this is a time when socialism can actually make inroads in the United States. And it can do it on health care, on education, universal health care, uh, you know, getting... I, you see, I see people moving. And you know another one that I see moving that just... This is the one that tipped me into thinking something bigger is up and people are positioning themselves. You might think I'm nuts. I don't watch them because I don't have the stomach to do it, but I read. And I see that Fox News Tucker Carlson, the bow-tied racist, is making noises that are decidedly anti-capitalist. Now for a right-winger on Fox News to start saying 
you know, capitalism uh, has, you know, really hurt a lot of people, and it's hurting a lot of people, and uh, we've allowed these predatory monopolies to, uh, to choke off competition. So the fact is, is we don't have a genuine capitalist system anymore. Whatever this is we got, it isn't anything I want to get behind. You got Tucker Carlson saying things like that. So... I don't know. I think he might be calculating that a lot of folks who may have voted for Trump would be open to an anti-capitalist message. But then where does that put them? And where does that put a racist like Tucker Carlson? Alongside Bernie Sanders? No. But something, it's getting harder and harder to have our usual boxes and cubby holes that we're always sticking everybody in. I don't think it's going to be working like it did. And I think we're in a, I just, my gut tells me there, and I don't know if it's in the next 10 years or something, some serious realignment. And as, because this is the United States and because the capitalists have such power here, they own our government, this could go badly. This could go fascistic. It could also go where you never thought it would with, it could be more socialistic with universal health care, which is hardly a radical idea. It's only a radical idea here. <coughs> so you got people like Howard Schultz. That's what freaked him out and got him in the race. We don't have the resources to have uh, everything for everybody. Because he wants to keep his billions. Where did I see today? There's no reason anybody needs a billion dollars. When people are hungry. It's crazy. The redistribution of some wealth. Not into some crazy place where everybody makes the same. But, you know, it, it, things have gotten to a point that are out of control. I'm just saying, when Tucker Carlson starts spewing anti-capitalist stuff, something's happening. Um, we have a call. Caller, go ahead. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hey, um, I agree with you on that, but I think this has been for a while. I think the problem why it hasn't changed is because of the way we pick the president and how we elect all these people. If, like I said before, I said this on your show before, if we would do the popular vote, you would see that most of the country would be not saying Bernie Sanders, but in line with him, in line with this woman, this young 27-year-old. That is how people really feel. Mm -hmm. They're not crazy about the capitalism, but they only have to vote for the Democrat Republic. But if you had a popular vote, it would change things. That's the big part of it. Well, that, but that's, that, that's the problem. Increasingly, what I'm seeing is our Constitution uh, is a problem because, uh, because the system has become corrupted. A, pop, a genuine popular vote, no electoral college, would have given us uh, nothing but Democratic uh, presidents for the last, what? I can't even imagine how, how long. It w there'd be no Bushes. There would have been no Trump, right? The, we, the Democrats keep winning the popular vote in every national election, and they lose the White House. It's crazy. Right. And there's something wrong with a system like that. I don't, I, I, right. I, there is something wrong when but the people speak. we probably have universal health care. We would have a better country without Reagan and the Bushes. Those, Reagan started it, and Clinton, he signed NAFTA. That wasn't good, but he was more toward Democratic. But 
that's the problem. We uh, the popular vote is what we should elect our, and you would see a change in the country. You would see a better America. I, I really believe that. Yeah. But it just until we change that. For, yeah. Get it. I hear you. I don't know. Yeah. Thanks. This Howard Schultz. He doesn't believe in Medicare for all. No. He's just another businessman. And when did a businessman who's rich as he is ever take care of anybody every day? Now, he says he gave his people health care. But I love to see just what kind of plan they really have and what it costs them and what it covers. And then he says, well, he worked his way from the top, bottom to the top. Well, if you look back at all of that and how he did it, and how he used people, which is, I don't have a problem with rich people making money. It's how they did it, stepping on people's toes. Just like I saw a story on TV the other day. It was about a guy that was a successful businessman, and they forgot to mention at the end of it. Then they, then they thought about it. He owned 70 slaves. So, you know, you get free labor. Hell, you could be a hell of a businessman. So it, they don't tell you all those little ways they got to the top. They just say, well, I worked from the bottom, and I worked up to the top, and... It's not always like that. I hear they, you. They always like that. And that guy, I, I would never vote for that. He's another Donald Trump, really, is all he is. All righty. Thank you. Appreciate it. Okay, thank you. Bye. Yep, thank yeah. you. Bye. Well, I don't think he's, yeah, he's not going anywhere. I'm sick of these guys. That's not, you know, classic white male privilege, rich white male privilege. I get to be president because I can fund myself. Uh, but speaking of rich people never helping anybody, uh, yeah, yeah, I think you said something like that. Um, I've got a, uh, something here that I noted and would like to share. Excuse me. This is, again, some uh, statistic. Since 1990... Okay, so for about 30 years. The global mortality rate for children, and the youngest children, the global mortality rate for children under the age of five has fallen markedly, markedly, Um, despite a rising world population, annual child deaths in low-income countries have dropped from 9.2 million to 4.8 million. That's almost cut in half in 30 years. Those are millions of children that are alive that didn't used to be. Millions. And why would that be? Well, you know who's being credited for saving millions of children's lives? Bill and Melinda Gates. Their foundation and uh, there are billions of dollars, 10 billion. Now, here's, a, here's billionaires using their money in the right way, as opposed to Jeff Bezos, right? Or Bezos. I still don't know how to pronounce his name. The Gates Foundation has uh, given $10 billion to global health funds targeting these po this population of children. And look what money can do. Look what money can do. Think of all those lives. Almost four million children alive that would otherwise not have been. But for that intervention by an extraordinarily rich couple using their money for good. 
the Clinton Foundation has done other good stuff as well. There are people who will use their money for good. Jeff Bezos, not. Just can't get enough. I think I mentioned this before, but I this I, I, I saw a quote, and I just want to throw it uh, out there because Ted Koppel is you know is a smart guy, and I think he sees this very very absolutely has it on the nose, and I've shared the same thought with you, but I want to read you this quote if I haven't already, because I know I did talk about this uh, couple piece that he had written originally for the Washington Post. But we need to keep it in our heads and not get too giddy at the prospect of Donald Trump leaving the White House, okay? Ted Koppel. It is all but inevitable that whoever succeeds Trump in the White House will be perceived by 30 to 40 percent of the voting public as illegitimate. And that it is also inevitable that Trump will enthusiastically encourage them in that perception. Whatever his failing, Trump is a brilliant self-promoter. And so, untethered from any political responsibility, not that he feels it, untethered once he's out of the presidency, he can be expected to capitalize fully on his new status as political martyr. and his new status as leader of a new resistance that will make today's look <laughs> supine, was his word. The dirty little secret about the United States' relationship with Donald Trump is that we are addicted to him. That's an addiction I could I could kick. It's that he's not, I, that's not how I would have ended that. He's not going away. And he will continue to be this destructive force for as long as he breathes. And that's the reality. So you can want him out. I mean, other than being locked up in a maximum security <laughs> facility <laughs> without, uh, you know, the ability to tweet and stuff, he ain't going away. And um, I think I, I've said more than once, I mean, the only way I get rid of Donald Trump, the only way you get rid of him is one of us, him or you has to die. And that's a fact. Until the day he dies and I die, I got to deal with this, this guy. And I got to deal with him and his insanity and his destructiveness and with the inability of our media who are addicted to him. I am not. The media are addicted to him. Because again, the more eyeballs they attract, the more money they make. So, just saying. Okie doke, guys. That's it for me. Stay, uh, stay warm out there. It is totally possible to stay warm. And if you're feeling cold, just imagine 20, 30 more degrees lower 
because that's what some folks uh, in the country are dealing with, okay? Just bundle up. It can be done. And don't worry about your contacts freezing to your eyeballs. Jesus H. All right, I'm out of here. Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoint of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.